Now, shall we ask God just for his help and his presence tonight? Our God and Father, we still ourselves in thy holy presence in the precious name of thy Son, the Lord Jesus. And we ask your God tonight just for help to speak well of the man Christ Jesus. We thank thee again for his coming into the world. Remember when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son. Remember too, though he came just as willing as he was sent. He came to do the Father's will. And this for him meant going to the place called Calvary. We thank you that there he laid down a righteous basis, that God could both be the just and yet the justifier of all that believe in Jesus. And tonight, our Father, we have the, the good news of the gospel to ring in the ears of men again, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He didn't come to call the righteous. He didn't come to live a good life, although he did these things. He came to die upon a tree that men might be saved and reconciled to God. And tonight, our God, we pray for the goings forth of the gospel, not only in the province, but further afield. We ask, your God, that new names might be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And most of all, that exaltation and glory might be brought to the person of thy beloved Son. We take a moment to pray for those that mourn tonight. And for many that are still sick, we think of many still that have the virus. And we pray for such tonight. And we ask thy blessing upon them. We just thank thee for preserving us thus far. And we pray, our God, just for the little while that lies before, that we'll be conscious of thy nearness and thy presence. We just look to thee now and ask thee for the help in the precious name of thy beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I have uh, the announcements before me here. And actually, I'm just turning to Acts chapter 12, and I'll just, for a second, but it'll only be for a second, to just to, to, to encourage you, really, as you study. Because <laughs> Wednesday night, 8 p.m., the prayer meeting and Bible study, and the subject is Peter in the prison. Wonderful study. A nice study. You know, the book of the Acts is... Uh, very interesting. Historically, it's all about history, really, the book of the Acts. But, of course, it's penned by Luke. Uh, I'll mention something about that just for you notice as I pass. But then next Sunday, 7 o'clock, the Gospel meeting with speakers, Mr. Alistair Carswell from Waringstown. And then also I have to announce ministry meetings on Wednesday, the 9th of February, Wednesday, the 16th of February, Wednesday the 23rd of February. And on all these occasions, Mr. Roland Pickering will speak in these meetings uh, in the ministry of the Word. And it just says at the bottom, everyone welcome. Now, I'm turning tonight for this meeting to Hebrews chapter 9. But before I do that, uh, just to mention in Acts chapter 12... It start, it's, the, it's the pivotal chapter in the book of Acts because it commences with the death of James and it ends with the death of Herod. You see? Two deaths. One at the commencement and one at the, at the end. Now, there's also the, the work of two angels. If you notice in verse 7, the angel of the Lord came upon Peter and he raised Peter up. Now, just look at the contrast to this. Look at verse 23. The angel of the Lord smote him, but he smote Herod to bring him down. 
There's the contrast. On the one hand, the angel smites Peter to raise him up. But on the other hand, he smites Herod to bring him down. Now, I just want you to notice just this thing, you see. I want you to notice, uh, and I'm just, you see, I'm, I'm coming, you'll understand, I'm coming cold to this. You'll understand what I mean by that. Uh, <laughs> uh, just look at the fact in verse 6. Peter is in the prison. And prayer's been made, and this is the key. You see verse 5. Prayer was made without ceasing of the church. Now, whenever it says without ceasing, it doesn't mean, of course, that we're continually praying. But it means constant, reoccurring prayer. And it was pacific. You see, sometimes I think when we pray, you know, you know we're all over the place, you know. And I'm as guilty as that as anyone. But it's good to have something or someone in your mind. And you continue to pray. And that's what they did for Peter. They put all their energy and their interest into a man in prison. And I tell you, the results was mighty. You might have an individual that you're praying for. Maybe someone that's not seeing you could be surprised if you keep praying what God could do. Because without prayer, I tell you the key to the book of the Acts is prayer. And the key to the believer's life is prayer. Constant, reoccurring. I was speaking recently in a meeting and I was, I was talking about, I was speaking on the throne of grace from Hebrews 4. And I mentioned this, the late Frank Knox used to say, if he hadn't prayed three times before breakfast, he would have thought he was a backslider. Prayer is absolutely key. Man, I'm not talking about it. I know it's good to have a set time. Many men have a set time, you know. Uh, I used to have seven o'clock on an evening, I'm in my bedroom to pray. I used to do that now. But I find now life is so, and I suppose it's the same for all of us, life is so hectic today. But this idea, you see, when Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, pray without ceasing. He means short accounts with God, but on a continual basis. Not one of us, brothers and sisters, can do without God. And if we go into any day, Without prayer, we're really saying, you know, I'm self-sufficient. And Brian, let me tell, say this as I pass on. Not one of us can afford to do that. So my little, I'm, I'm just mentioning myself here, my little habit now is this. Before I get, reach my car every morning, <laughs> I just pray between my house and my car that God will help me. That he'd help me through the day. And I would commit not only myself, I would commit my family and different needs that I know were just present at any particular time. And I just leave it with God. And I believe that sets me off for the day. Sure, I read, I read a wee bit too, of course, but the prayer is key. Now, just, I'll just mention this now. I'll, I'll, 
It says in verse 6, Peter was sleeping. <laughs> he's not too concerned about the fact that he's in jail. Why is he sleeping? The Lord had promised him earlier. The Lord had promised Peter a long life. And Peter, like Paul, is in the will of God. And he knows that his life's not going to be taken then. He is still a work to do for God. And brothers and sisters, whoever you are tonight, take encouragement for the fact that you're still in the body. God has still a work for you to do. It doesn't matter. It might, it might be some big thing. Joseph of Arimathea accomplished his life's work for God in an afternoon. Whenever he took care of the body of Christ from off the tree and he placed it in his own new tomb. That was his life's work. But you see, it's not quantity, brown sisters. Never get it into your head as quantity. But it is this, as quality. Now, one other thing, and then I'm, I'm definitely going over to Hebrews. This is, I've, this is not my, I heard this, sec, this is coming now second hand. We have to acknowledge this, we, we hear, I went to many, many meetings in my little time, conferences, listened to tapes. And this is what I heard about Acts chapter 12 from some man. There's Peter, and he's in the prison, you see, and they're praying for him. And there's, 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 there's 16 soldiers. There's, verse 4 tells us that. There's 16 soldiers. There's all these big gates. And they, 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 they open of their own accord and so on. And he comes out of the prison. There he is. He's free. And he comes to the prayer meeting, and he knocks. And lo and behold, they don't answer. They don't answer the door. And brethren, isn't that a bit like us? We could pray for something for a long time. And God maybe graciously gives the answer, but we don't believe it really. And there he is standing at the, the door of the prayer meeting and eventually he gets in. And my thought's just this. Peter found it harder to get into the prayer meeting than he did to get out of prison. Miraculous, isn't it? Now that's... Just uh, forgive me that little aside. But now come with me please. Hebrews chapter 9. You see, uh, sometimes <laughs> you get all... Well, you get something in your mind, you get all... But I'm coming to Hebrews 9 now. And uh, we're, we're going to read, please, just one passage. And we're in Hebrews chapter 9. We're thinking now our minds are... I'm 100% focused on the gospel. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. And we're just reading to the end of the chapter, please. Hebrews chapter 9 from verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. I'll just draw your attention to the word appear there. There's the first reference to it. Appear. Now, verse 25. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place, every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end or the consummation of the ages hath he appeared. Now there's the second reference to the word appeared. 
to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear. There's the third reference to appear. The second time, without sin, unto salvation. God will bless his word. We want to speak this afternoon or this evening then on the three appearings of Christ that we find at the end of Hebrews chapter 9. You see, if you just had an authorized version and you woke with an authorized version solely, it is a bit of a difficulty when it comes to Bible study because these three words, although they're the same in the authorized version, are different and have to be understood differently. And while I won't go into the depth of meaning, I want to see that with these three appearings, first of all in verse 24, we have an appearing in the present, where Christ is now. There's an appearing in the present. Then in verse 27, sorry, 26, we have an appearance in the past. And we'll be thinking about something that the Lord Jesus Christ done in the past when he appeared to earth. Now, and then again in verse 28, we have another appearing of Christ and this appearing's not present or it's not past, but it looks away to the future. So there's the three appearings of Christ. Now, just, just further on that now, just for a moment. This is just setting out the outline. The first appearance that we read about, verse 24. He came from earth via Calvary, via the resurrection, and he now is in heaven. He's in glory. But, says our verse, and we'll come to it in a moment, it's the last two words of verse 24, it's for us, it's for believers. The Lord Jesus Christ is currently interceding on beh in behalf of believers in heaven. We'll come to that for a moment. He's the first man tonight in heaven in a body. I believe he still has the marks of Calvary upon him. Just to, not that we'll need, mind you, when we get to heaven, we won't need just the evidence of the marks of Calvary upon his person. He will be the center of everything in glory. But as I just pass this, I wonder, will you be there? We're going to look at the qualification to be in heaven tonight. Every man will tell you, you know, I hope to be in heaven. But the, the, the reality is this. In order to get to heaven, you must be blood washed. You must be saved. We'll look at that just in a moment. But then I want you to think, just further to that, you see, he's in heaven tonight as the burden bearer. That's it. And it's all in relation to his own people. Now I'm looking at my audience tonight. 
Are you one of Christ's own? Has there been a moment in your life when you've trusted the Savior? And you have entered into the family of God, you see. The minute that you trust Christ, you enter into the family of God and you can cry like the Savior did, Abba, Father. Have you got that intimate relationship with God tonight through the Lord Jesus Christ? Mind you, that's key. Tonight the speaker is heaven-born. I'm heaven-born. I'm as sure of heaven tonight as if I was already in it. Are you sure? You see, John talks about in his first epistle, these things are written that you may know. God wants you to know of a certainty where you're going. And tonight, if you don't know where you're going, then I would almost certainly say to you, you're not saved. It's great to have confidence tonight and look at the future and know that if I don't see tomorrow morning, all's well. I'll be in heaven. Now that's an appearing in the present. Now, just to mention, what about his appearing in the past? Well, we're going to look at the fact that when he appeared in the past, we're going to come take you to Calvary. And we're going to see the Lord Jesus Christ as the great sin bearer. Because that's what this verse tells us. It tells us that he appeared and he appeared with this in view to put away sin. I'm looking at my audience tonight. What about sin? Sin is the one thing that will keep you out of heaven. And could we go a bit further tonight? Sin is the one thing that will condemn you to hell and the lake of fire forever. That's why it's so important that your sins be forgiven. You know, the psalmist said in Psalm 51, David said, My sin is ever before me. And even, you know, as believers, it's a good thing to be conscious of sin. John says in 1 John 2, If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Do you remember I was speaking about short accounts? We should be conscious of sin because there's not one of us that doesn't have sin. And appearing in the present and appearing in the past, but just now I'm looking again, now I'm stretching my mind away to the future and I'm going beyond the rapture. Dear soul, the, the rapture is not in view in the book of Hebrews. It's confusion to think that the rapture is in the book of Hebrews. It's not. There's three references to the coming of Christ in the book of Hebrews. And every one of them is to the what we might call the second phase of the Lord's return. When he comes not to the air, but when he comes back to the earth. And his feet will stand, according to Zechariah 14, his feet will stand on Mount Olivet. You see, Hebrews, this book was written to Jews and their hope is kingdom. Their hopes are linked with earth. 
So he speaks about coming back again. And we'll look at that and we'll come to it. He's coming back the second time. In relation to Hebrews. And he's going to set up a kingdom. Everlasting kingdom. The Lord Jesus Christ himself is going to reign. It's going to be the most glorious period of earth's history. When Christ comes to take up the reins of government. Wonderful day. So that's what's before me now, just as I keep an eye on the time. But three appearings of Christ. The first one. He left earth. Do you remember Luke 24 says, He led the company out as far as to Bethany. Interesting that. Why did he choose that place? I take it Bethany was the one place on earth where he found a welcome. And it's just from that spot that he ascends. And he ascends up through the skies, a living man to take his place in heaven. And says verse 24, he's entered into heaven now. That's where he is presently. To appear in the presence of God for us. There's a man interceding on our behalf. But what I want us to think about now, heaven. We sometimes sing, don't we? When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. And as I look down at you now, I want to ask you the question. Will you be in heaven at the end of life's little journey? Have you made a start on the journey? Remember, every journey has a starting point. The Bible says, prepare to meet thy God. Have you made preparation for heaven? We're at the commencement of another new year. and oh, we, we know about restrictions and all that, but there's still loads of things in our mind about possibly holidays and appointments we have to keep. But what about heaven, sir, madam? Have you commenced the journey? Have you ever realized that you're a sinner? That's step number one. For every one of us just to recognize this, that I'm a sinner. Mind you, that's a very important point in the gospel today. That you would be able to cry, you see, with the publican of Luke chapter 18. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Have you taken that place? Because if you've taken that place tonight, it wouldn't be very hard to pour into your ears now the wondrous message of the gospel. That Paul writes to Timothy and he says... Christ Jesus, that's the person, came into the world, that's the place, to save, that's the purpose. Sinners, that's the people. He didn't come to call the righteous. He came to call sinners to repentance. Ah, I just touched it on another key word, repentance. The Lord Jesus said in Luke chapter 13, he said it twice over, except ye repent. Ye shall all likewise perish. What does it mean, repentance? Does it mean just being sorry? 
I think it means even more than that. It means turning away from, you see. Paul speaks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, and they actually take place at the exact same moment. The moment that I have the right thoughts about my sin, and at the same moment I exercise faith in Christ, I'm saved. As I look down at your face tonight, I wonder, are you saved? Mind you, that's the most important thing of all. What if this night was your last night upon earth? And before tomorrow morning, death laid his hand upon you. Because we're going to be thinking about death now just in a moment. The king of terrors and the terror of kings. If death laid his hand upon you this Lord's Day evening, are you absolutely sure that it's heaven? Paul says as he came to near the end of his life, for I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. Your departure, young man, older person in this meeting, could be this very evening. And once we breathe our last, the soul takes its flight into eternity. And there's only two destinies on the other side. Heaven, which we're speaking about. Hell. And hell, and then eventually, you see, eventually, Revelation 20, the lake of fire, we lower our voice, we don't like to shout about solemn matters, but that is the reality. Every one of us shall give an account of himself to God, you see. As we leave this appearing, he appears in the presence of God for us. You see, heaven is a prepared place tonight for a prepared people. We do not get to heaven by chance, dear soul. You'll not just end up in heaven by chance. You will go to heaven by choice. At some moment in your life when God awakens you to your need and he speaks to you through the Spirit of God and he awakens you. That's whenever, whenever God speaks, you need to be very wary at that time because you can either soften or you can harden. Heaven. Now, I want us to come now to verse 26. If we've thought about earth, you see, he left earth for heaven in the first one, but you see, this, I'm now thinking about the first appearance of Christ, the first advent. Whenever he came from heaven to earth, and he was born in Bethlehem. Now, his life didn't begin there, of course. We might need just to state that. Listen to John chapter 1. The Word became flesh, you see. But the Word is eternal. That's how John's Gospel begins. But he took upon himself a body. 
answers are reversed, though it mentions the main reason I notice. It says, once in the end of the world hath he appeared. You see, in the old economy, they offered thousands upon thousands of sacrifices. Daily, monthly, yearly. But the Bible says, summing them all up says this, it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Because there really was no value in them. They had a ceremonial value. But they had no value to deal with sin. But now listen to what we read about the Lord Jesus Christ. Once in the end of the world hath he appeared. What to do? To put away sin. We're now preaching to you a man that can put away a sacrifice that can fully deal with sin. Men have a big problem. It's a sin problem. We talk today in our world about all global warnings and all this type of thing. And these things are real. But the biggest problem in our world still remains sin. Your sin, mine. In this verse we have a man who has dealt with it fully, completely and finally. This is why he came. How did he put it away? By the sacrifice of himself. I tell you, whenever you read that and you start thinking about it, the sacrifice of Christ must have been mighty to deal with sin. And whenever we're thinking of sin in the singular, you see, we're thinking of the root of sin. We're thinking of all sin. You think of the sin of Northern Ireland, which is only a relatively small place. And you think of some of our capital cities of the world tonight. And you think of the amount of sin that there is. And yet what we're being told here, here was a sacrifice that completely dealt with sin. And it only happened once. We're going to find that out before we stop tonight. He'll never have to, to deal with sin again. When Jesus therefore received the vinegar, he cried, It is finished, tetelestai, paid in full. And now the guilty can go free. This is the great truth of the gospel that another has taken, another has taken the sinner's place. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Listen to it tonight. Who is own self? Bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Christ paid the penalty in full. He suffered, he bled, he died. Alas, and did my Savior die, sovereign die, you see, and he's paid the price in full. Whenever I think of this verse, I always think of... Uh, John chapter 1, verse 29, this connection. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away. Here you have put away. There in John 1, it's taken away. The sin of the world. Now, here's the thing. Whenever we came to Christ, we had our sins taken away. The believer will never have to pay the penalty for their sins. It's not good tonight. As I look at you tonight in the meeting, will you ever pay the penalty for your sins? 
Are you saved tonight? Romans chapter 6 verse 23 tells me the wages of sin is death. That's not just physical death. It's also eternal. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But just back for a moment before I pass on to verse 27. Back for a moment to this verse, John chapter 1. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And somebody might ask the question, will the sin of the world ever be taken away? And here's the answer, it will. Do you know there's coming a day when this world will be completely free from sin? And I'm not thinking now about the millennium. Because actually in the millennium, sin will still be present. And that's why the Lord Jesus Christ will use a rod of iron to keep, keep it down. Because you see, that in the millennium, righteousness is reigning. Isaiah 32 verse 1. But I'm looking forward now to another day. Actually, it's spoken about in Hebrews chapter 4. It's spoken about in 1 Corinthians 15. It's spoken about in 2 Peter 3. There's only four passages that deal with it. The other is Revelation chapter 21. And what I'm speaking about is this now. The day of God. When righteousness won't only reign, but it will dwell. Why? Because there's no sin present. It's gone. We have an earth completely purged of sin. And the Bible says God will rest them. Because his purpose has been completed. And all the chaos that Adam and Eve brought in through the fall has been dealt with. And I'm reading to you now the righteous basis in which it all points to. It's Christ's death. You see, Christ's death, you know, is far, far wider than just the sins of men. Colossians chapter 1 says, He made peace through the blood of his cross, and this is the part to remember, to reconcile all things unto himself. Not just men. And you know something, brown and sisters, is coming a day when every blade of grass will know something of the value of the death of Christ. Because you have a word today and Romans chapter 8 tells us that creation is groaning. And that's true. But there's coming a day when the curse is going to be lifted. And there's coming a day when the desert is going to blossom like a rose. There's coming a day when the corn is going to grow on top of the mountains. And even with all that, that's, I'm now speaking about the millennium when I'm speaking about those things. But even with all that, they still haven't reached that day of perfection which God is planning towards and the death of Christ has made provision for. But I'm coming now to look, please. Look at verse 27, very solemn verse. It is appointed unto men. Now this is where you and I come in again. Once to die. Brian says there's no, not one of us speaker includes likes talking about death. There's something final about it. And uh, I, was only, I was only 19 when I followed my father's body to the, the, the cemetery. And there's things that got to stay with you. Death's real. But tonight, 
what gives me comfort just in speaking about death like in this connection is this. There's nothing about death that Christ hasn't tasted for the believer. I take that from the same book, you know, Hebrews chapter 2. I'm quoting now from Hebrews chapter 2. He partook of flesh and blood that he might destroy him who'd power over death. You see, death, the devil's hold on death has been broken. And we're linked tonight to the one, the prince of life. The one who died, but the one who rose. And because I'm linked to him tonight, I need not fear death no more. You see, for men, you see, for men, here, here's the normal order for men. They're born in sin, and they die, and then there's judgment. But you see, for the believer, that little chain of events has been broken. We're born in sin, all right. But before death takes place, we have a moment of conversion. And in that moment, everything changed. My eternal destiny changed from going down to going up. Do you see how important salvation is? A life changed. Preserved by Jesus when my feet made haste to hell. And there should I have gone. But he doeth all things well. I couldn't help but notice, I didn't look at it, but in my little... The little calendars, I think, that our dear sister gives out here. Got the verse this morning. The end of Mark 6. He hath done all things well. And brown sisters, I know we can put that over every part of his life. But tonight I'm putting that over particularly Calvary. He hath done all things well. But just back to this verse again, verse 27. Notice please, wants to die, but then it says, but after this. Now, just stop for a moment. There's many men tonight that think death's the end, you see. Now here's just one verse that tells me death isn't the end. If death was just the end tonight, I don't think... would. Is, is the preaching worthwhile? But you see, there's an after this. You see, you see whenever God made, he created man and he created the beasts of the field, but he made a big distinction when he made man. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. There's the difference, you see. You and I tonight... 20 minutes to 8 or so, we're in possession of a soul that's going to live the lifetime of God. And the undertaker will never, ever touch it. But our verse says this, death, and then, not immediately of course, but there's an after this. And I do take it the judgment refers to the great white throne. There's really, I'll just mention it very briefly, there's three judgments in our Bible. 
There's the judgment, or a better word would be, assessment of believers. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians 5, Romans 14, all speak about a time for the believer when his life will be assessed. But then there's another judgment, Matthew 25. It's the judgment of the living nations. It will take place prior to the setting up of the kingdom. The goats and the sheep and so on. And then there's a third one, more solemn still. I do see, if you get the Precious Seed magazine here, I did notice in just leafing through it this afternoon an article on the great white throne. Revelation 20. The dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books are opened. And there's the book of life. And there's a search made. Just to be absolutely sure, there's a search made. But I do take it, you see. Those that stand there, their names are not written in it. Because if your name's in the Lamb's book of life tonight, then I make no mistake, you'll never appear. Never appear at the great white throne. So wherever your name's written tonight, and your name could be written in a, maybe a register of some kind to do with some society, your name will be written, of course, at your workplace and so on, number so-and-so. But I tell you, the most important place for your name to be written tonight is in the Lamb's Book of Life. The Lord spoke about rejoice because your names are written in heaven. That's why I rejoice tonight. But notice, I come back to my verse now as I just want to leave it after this. Now, listen to this now. You're either going to have an after this of judgment or an afterwards of glory. Now, let me just... It's either going to be an after this of judgment or Psalm 74 speaks about an afterwards of glory. You're either going to die in your sins or you're going to die in Christ. There's only two ways to die. That's the solemn reality. John chapter 8 speaks about a people the Lord Jesus said to them, there were Jews, ye shall die in your sins. Mind you, just think about that for a moment. If you die in your sins, you'll have to pay the full penalty for them. And the Lord went on to explain. He says, where I go, you cannot come. Die in your sins means to, to be lost, dear soul. But when we come to Hebrews chapter 11, and we read about men like Abraham and so on, it says in that chapter, these all died in faith. You see, Abraham and Moses and men like that, they, they were saved looking forward down the ages because the one basis by which all men can be saved is the death of Christ. There's not two ways to be saved. You and I, you see, we're not saved looking forward. We're saved looking back. Backward, look, we drawn to Calvary. We see a man there who took our place. And he died. We sometimes sing, settle forever, sin's tremendous claim. Glory to Jesus. 
Blessed be his name. I'm depending tonight. When a call comes down to it, I'm depending tonight, and you've heard me say this before, I'm depending on four words to take me to heaven. Jesus died for me. Have you got that tonight? Now, just look at verse 28. We'll look at the final appearing very briefly. I want you to notice that verse 28 starts off with, So Christ. Now that means this. That intimately links to, to what's gone before, you see. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Now, pause for a moment. Many. Now, that has caused some people a difficulty. Let me just banish that away completely. Many, you see. The death of Christ in scope now, in talking about scope, is for all. Sometime at your leisure, read 1 Timothy chapter 2 and underline the little word all. First of all, we have prayer for all. Then we have God's desire for all. And then we have a ransom for all. In scope, the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of a few? No. The north of Ireland? No. The world of men. That's as far as the scope's concerned. Tonight we can pray, and it's just, we can make our prayer, prayer just as broad as we like. Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with you bring. We can pray for the souls of all men everywhere. The scope is all. But when this word many is used, and you have it in, uh, you have it in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it's always looking just at the actual amount the actual amount has been looked at. And so, when we think of the death of Christ, you never want to narrow it in your thinking, you know. Mr. Albert Lackey, and some might have heard of him here, was a, 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 a man from Scotland, great teacher. And this is what he used to say about, about Calvary. He said this, and I have it in the top of my Bible here. We cannot reduce Calvary to a mathematical equation. It was an infinite work by an infinite person. And whenever he hung on dark Calvary, he provided an eternal salvation for every living descendant of Adam without exception. We have full trust tonight in the person of Christ and what he accomplished at Calvary. But I don't want to look at this just... <clears throat> I want to look at the end of verse 28 before I finish was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look for him. Now, just for a moment, again, that doesn't narrow, the, that doesn't narrow it in any way, you see. The, I'm just going back now to Leviticus 16 for a moment. And the high priest, he went in once a year into the holiest of holies. He went in, you see, and he had the blood and so on. And then he came out again. Now, he came out for every single person he went in for. Now, so when it says, them that look for him, ideally, you know, we'll all be looking for him whenever the Lord Jesus Christ comes to the air. Now, I'm, I've already said, this is not rapture here, but I'm just applying it for a moment. It would be good just to be in a state of watching and waiting. 
We have entered 2022 now. We can't put dates on calendars when the Lord will come back. But just look around us tonight and start thinking about all the things that's happening. And surely, surely the Lord's coming near. And the hymn writer penned, I can almost hear the footfall on the threshold of the door. And my heart, my heart is longing to be with him evermore. We're looking forward just to getting our first, some brother mentioned it in our meeting this morning uh, from 2 Peter, uh, 1 Peter, sorry, chapter 1. We love a man we've never seen. People have drawn all kinds of pictures of his Christ and so on. But really, in reality, we don't know what he looks like. But we don't need to know what he looks like. But what we do need to know, and what the Bible has told us, they've told us, the gospel writers and Paul and Peter, they've all told us about this lovely person who was sinless. And he was spotless. Anne says, uh, the Song of Songs, I just used the word of Song of Songs, chapter 5. He is altogether lovely. And Paul writes in, in, in Philippians 3, and I actually I have it up in my little, my little study at home. It's Philippians 3 and 10, these words, that I may know him. Paul himself had the most intense longing to get to know better the person of Christ. And this is the end of our verse. And I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm almost finished now. Unto them that look for him shall he appear. Now, I've already mentioned, this is now the Lord Jesus Christ coming to Mount of Olivet. He's coming first. Could I put it into picture for you? He's coming first David-like. Do you remember David was a man of war? He's coming like that first. He's going to come to, to deal with his enemies first. He's going to come to deal with his enemies first. David-like. But then secondly, he's coming Solomon-like. Because you remember Solomon was a man of peace. And there's going to be an, a, a kingdom that's going to be based on peace and righteousness and will, there'll be joy. And then he's coming, actually, Joseph-like. I have to explain this now. He's going to convert the, his own nation. And there's going to be a nation done in a day, born in a day. Israel has a glorious future in association with Christ. And that's all involved in this coming. He's coming to the earth. And then I'll just explain this as I, as I finish now. It says it comes without sin. What does that mean? Without sin. Well, I'll tell you what it means. The first time that he came, he completely dealt with it. He'll never have to deal with sin again. It's gone. It's finished. And so he comes now the second time. And the hymn writers penned these words. And I just quote them. The next time that he comes, he won't have to die for me. The next time that he comes, 
will begin eternity. Isn't it great tonight, just as I finish now, as I summarize, isn't it great tonight to be linked to the man of Calvary? Tonight, if you're not linked to Christ, let me just say this to you. If tonight you're still in your sins and you're facing judgment and all these uncertain things in life, Paul says, really, you have no hope. It must be an awful thing to go through life without hope. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the key to it all. You see, we have to remember, you know, whenever we're preaching on the gospel, that we're preaching a person, not a gospel hall or church attendance. Or we preach not ourselves, Paul says, but Christ Jesus the Lord. We preach Christ crucified. Tonight, as I hold up, as I finish bring my remarks to an end, I'm throwing out the lifeline one more time. Have you got your sins forgiven? Are you sure you're going to be in heaven that these verses speak about? Mind you, it's a great thing to put your head in the pillow at night and know that if I should never wake in time, I'm going to be in heaven. I never deserved it. Of course, I did. no one deserved it. But that's grace, you see. By God's grace, at the end of life, it'll be heaven and home. Paul says, for me to live Christ and to die is gain. One moment to be down here and the next moment to waken up in heaven. Heaven is my fatherland. Heaven is my home. What's your destiny tonight? Do trust. You'll think about Christ appearing, first of all, in the present. He's in heaven. But the second appearing we looked at tonight was the appearing in the past. Why did he come to this world? He came to deal with sin. He dealt with it fully, completely, and finally in a sac giving himself a sacrifice of infinite value that God can be just and the justifier of all that believe in Jesus. And then to project your mind to the future. To think about his coming to the air, certainly that's good. That's dealt with in 1 Thessalonians 4, 2 Thessalonians 1. The promise of it is in John 14. But in the book of Hebrews, it goes beyond that to a moment when those feet that were nailed at Calvary will stand again on the Mount of Olivet. The mountain will cleave in two, ushering in a way for all these prophetic events to unfold before us. And then the Lord Jesus Christ will come out of heaven on the white horse with his armies before him. He's mighty in battle, you see. It's a different Christ now. When he came the first time, he was associated with lowly things. But now when he comes back, he's going to deal with his enemies. I was just, uh, just and this, I mentioned this, but this morning I was just mentioning, uh, I was giving a little word on Isaiah, at the end of Isaiah 52. You know, it speaks at the end of Isaiah 52 about the Lord Jesus. It says, he was more marred than any man. 
But you know, the next verse goes on to say this, and this is what I have to explain. The next verse says that the kings of the earth shall shut their mouths at him. I'll just mention this now. This is my final, this is my final, finally. You see, in the Old Testament, this is the interesting thing. The writer will speak about the first advent of Christ in one verse, and then in the next verse, he'll skip away to the second phase of the second advent. And what is, what, the reason for that is this. The Old Testament prophets looked into the future and they saw all these two mountain peaks, you see. They'd seen the first advent of Christ, they'd seen the second, but they didn't see the bit in between, the valley. They didn't see the day of grace, which you and I are currently in. They didn't see the rapture. The rapture was something that was made known alone to Paul, promised by Christ. And so that's why Isaiah jumps from speaking about the disfiguration of Christ. But then, and I just mentioned this as I finish, when he comes back again in manifestation, the kings of this earth will be totally in awe of him. And what's been drawn attention to at the end of Isaiah 52 is this. His deep humiliation when he was here on earth will be completely reversed when he comes in manifestation glory. You see, the manifestation is all about the vindication of Christ. God's going to see to it that in the very place where the Lord Jesus was put to shame here, that's going to be the very place where he's going to be exalted and extolled in a coming day. Now, I've, went, I've said enough. May God bless his word, shall we pray. We'll not, we'll not bother singing our hymn just now. We'll just pray. Thank you. Father, we bow in thy presence. We thank thee for thy word. We thank thee for thy son. And we thank thee primarily tonight for that appearing in the past when he came to deal with our sin. We pray tonight earnestly if there's anybody in the meeting that's still in their sins that they might give serious consideration to these things and that tonight even they might put their trust and faith in that blessed man. We thank thee again that he's now exalted and extolled in heaven and we do bless thee that his near return is, is, is imminent and we pray, our Father, again just for loved ones and family members and townsfolk and people we know that are still on that broad way that leads to destruction. We pray for their blessing eternally tonight. Remember any in the company here that's sick, any in the company here that's lonely or downcast, we know we've, we've all got problems. We thank you that we come to a Saviour who we read is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And so we commend every head bowed in thy presence to thee and give thee thanks again for our Lord Jesus Christ in his precious name.